You are listening to the Catholic Exchange Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Catholic Exchange Podcast. Here we are, the second week of Lent. This is your faithful editor and host and penitent editor and host, Michael Litchens, here today for CatholicExchange.com. And I'm inviting a guest here that should be familiar to many of you who are readers as well as listeners. Kathleen Beckman has been a longtime Catholic Exchange contributor. She's also written several books, including Prayer for Priests, which is connected with her foundation of Prayer for Priests. And she has a new book right now just for the Year of Mercy called God's Healing Mercy. Find your path to forgiveness, peace, and joy. Kathleen's got a wonderful ministry, has done so much great work, so it's a pleasure to have her here. So Kathleen, welcome to the Catholic Exchange Podcast. Thank you, Michael. It's a delight to be with you, and I'm just so grateful for the ministry of Catholic Exchange and for your great work, so thank you. Oh, it's absolutely my pleasure. And to dive right in, uh, I have the book in front of me, God's Healing Mercy. Can you tell me a little bit about this book and what inspired you to write it? Well, I have to give credit where credit is due, and that's Sophia Press. I have to thank uh, Charlie McKenney and you for thinking of me and asking me to consider writing this book. Um, and it wasn't really my idea, but when we, when I was invited, I decided to you know, pray and see well, what would the Lord want, and it seemed that this was His will, so we went to work right away on um, writing, specifically focusing on healing, the healing aspect of mercy and forgiveness. And I think it, it came up naturally for me because of the extensive retreat work that I have been involved in over the last uh, 25 years. And so I realize how much, um, you know, the people of God, how much we need that inner healing. And so I was very happy that Sophia Press was agreeable to focus on God's healing mercy. What I really enjoyed about this book, obviously I should probably let all our listeners know I did edit it, so I'm not at all unbiased. I love this book. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Michael. Of course. (laughs) You start, when you're talking about healing mercy, you really focus on divine mercy. Is that correct? Yes, absolutely, on divine mercy. And, you know, we knew that for the year of mercy, I mean, when when Charlie first approached me for this, um, we knew that there would be many books, um, obviously Mm -hmm. published from different publishers, really talking about various aspects of mercy. But, um, you know, this is pretty consistent with the theme of the Year of Mercy, Merciful Like the Father. And so and my spiritual director and I really tried to focus on the Father's mercy, divine mercy. Certainly we have St. Faustina, as you know well, in there. St. John Paul II is in there. I mean, these more recent uh, happenings of divine mercy, but we really tried to stay close to Scripture. You cover a lot of folks in here, even on the individual, but you go through the family and everything. So you see divine mercy as really something, whether it's on a retreat or that you're reading this book by yourself, that divine mercy can touch everyone, even if it's going to be on a corporate level or on a larger crowd. Yes, absolutely. We divided the chapters so that it was, we start with divine mercy on you, on the individual. And, and that really, that chapter focuses on forgiveness. And I really wanted to look at forgiveness and unforgiveness from many different angles because this is an area that I personally struggled with. As you know from reading the book, um, when my father-in-law was brutally murdered uh, at our place of business, I was one who was crying out for vengeance. I was one who was crying out for justice. 
I wanted the, um, you know, the police to pursue him and to persecute, I mean, to prosecute him. And, um, and then it was the Lord uh, who really taught me in adoration about uh, going to that place in Scripture, that scene, uh, we're all thinking about this now during our Lenten journey, of the foot of the cross and, and realizing as Jesus is on the cross and he extends those words of forgiveness, um, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. So over time he began to take me deeper into that scripture and I realized the power of forgiveness because I personally experienced a great deal of inner healing, Michael, um, through being able to forgive, by the grace of God, the murderers. And I realized that, number one, no one is outside of God's mercy, and um, that I really, that the Lord loves everyone so much, and I really wouldn't want this person, this murderer even, to be separated from God eternally. And I began to pray in earnest for him, again, just the grace of God, because it wasn't my my na- human you know, nature to do mm-hmm. that. But um, it was just that time in adoration and in going to that place of the Lord um, you know, in His forgiveness. So the first chapter really focuses on forgiveness. I find that many of our brothers and sisters in Christ have um, a misunderstanding of what forgiveness is and isn't. Would you agree with that? Oh, I absolutely would agree. Yes. And so I really wanted to talk about, well, what is true forgiveness, but also what it's not. And I think that that's very important. And people have said that it's helped them a lot to understand Mm -hmm. that, you know, it's not condoning, it's not a legal pardon, it's not even a reconciliation. And so I think that first chapter has been um, very helpful to many people with the feedback that I get in um, talking to people who have read the book. I can imagine, and I, I have to say that story that you relate is amazing to me. It, uh, it humbled me in many ways because uh, being, I sometimes blame it on being Irish American, but <laughs> I have trouble forgiving the people who cut me off in traffic. I mean, it's that bad some days. So. <laughs> it's funny, my father-in-law was German Irish, but he didn't. He just wanted to be Irish, and so he <laughs> he kind of forgot the German part. His mother was O'Halloran, and so. Um, we had a lot of Irish music, and I understand what you're saying. Um, you know, it's the grace of God. I have to say that the Lord, you know, really gave me the grace to do that. But sometimes, you know, forgiving my neighbor something that he just did uh, recently has been harder than that. So I know it was a grace. Very much so. And you also uh, would like to talk about this a little bit. Mention the healing aspect of being able to forgive, what is that like? Well, I noticed that after, like, I learned this personally, and I see this with people who come uh, to retreats, and they have an area of unforgiveness in their hearts, and there's many, many of us. This is a common, um, you know, challenge for, for us. But I noted that after the murder, when I was crying out for vengeance, if you will, and praying. You know, my prayer was not only for the repose of the soul of my father-in-law and for my husband and the family that were so traumatized because he was brutally murdered. So just beholding a loved one like that was very, very traumatic for me. And I remember one time, Michael, in adoration, the Lord really spoke to my heart to take care, to heal to ask for the healing of this wound, this trauma, so that I wouldn't project this wound onto his body. And I think that really helped me to understand how God's mercy is so healing, because what happened after the aftermath of such a trauma, I was 
anxious for the first time in my life. You know, I was afraid, which I had never been before. I kept thinking, you know, I wanted to protect the children. Are they going to be next? Um, You know, are they going to go after the rest of the family? And so there was a lot of anxiety and unrest. And also, I would be, I would weep. I would just weep before the Blessed Sacrament. And when the Lord brought me to a place of forgiveness, then I was able to, all of that stopped. My joy returned. My peace returned. I wasn't afraid anymore. I returned, you know, I was a healed, I had that inner healing. And that makes me very sympathetic and sensitive to others who need that healing. Absolutely. That's wonderful. And to go through the book a little bit more, there's a great section here on vocations where you talk about healing from no to yes. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Oh, yes, and I love that chapter. In Me fact, too. When my, uh, <laughs> thank you. When my uh, bishop sent it to the diocesan censor laborium, he wrote back to me, uh, he's a Norbertine priest at St. Mm-hmm. Michael's Abbey, and he wrote back to me and said this was his favorite chapter. And, you know, I think that it, it deals with all vocations, as you know, and it's not so much about discerning our vocation, but it's a matter of the yes, the consequences of saying yes to God, whatever our vocation may be, and the consequences of saying no to God. And so I cover a few scriptures there where we see the fruit of no to God. And, you know, it's serious. A lot of us have been hurt by the no of a, of a person, and I uh, articulate that in the in the chapter, because the yes to God in our vocation requires such a surrender and a sacrifice and a self-emptying. And so, you know, the consequences of saying no, we look at Eve, you know, and what mm-hmm. happened to her no to God. And so we look at that and compare it to Our ladies, yes. And we, you know, in the chapter I wrote, Um, a reflection on praying for the grace to say yes to the Lord, because every vocation exists to bring forth Jesus Christ into the world. And so being um, faithful to our vocation is really the call that we each have, whatever that vocation is. There's so many temptations to be unfaithful. And there's so many temptations to second-guess our vocation. Mm -hmm. And that's because all vocations are self-emptying. And, you know, we need to pray and rely on the mercy of God so that our yes is a constant yes. And that we understand that our vocation is not the, as you know well, the vocation is not the fulfillment of all our desire. The vocation is where we work out with with the grace of God, um, our salvation. And so, of course, there will be uh, many opportunities the Lord gives us to self-empty, whether we're, whether we're you know, called to be a priest or religious or uh, marriage, family, or the single life or consecrated. I think uh, one of the great things Pope Francis has been doing this he, in his pontificate has been reaching out to those who have struggled with faith, who have had issues with doubt, which you touch on very well. What is the divine mercy that's there for those who are doubting or might even be just having, you know, in a total bedrock, like they not sure if they even believe anymore. Right. Well, you know, the so many saints, one of my favorite parts of the book was actually researching and writing about mm-hmm. these saints, um, because so many of our saints have gone through times of doubt. And, um, you know, we, we really 
uh, rely on the divine mercy uh, when we go through a time of darkness. And um, because divine mercy enters to give us hope, and divine mercy is always there to help us to not be afraid of the darkness and to bring us through um, through it. And so, you know, we talk about, um, I, in this chapter, uh, we talked about moving from how divine mercy, the love of God, moves us to a place of uh, faith again. And I think that's what is really the point of this Jubilee Year of Mercy, um, that, you know, the Lord, that Pope Francis is inviting the whole, all of us, the whole church and world, to really consider um, with eyes of faith again the, the loving mercy of the Lord and to not be afraid. So um, I don't know if there was a specific aspect about doubt that you were wanting to address. Not particularly. It's just always a curiosity of mine. Uh, like you said, there's saints that go through the period of doubt. And I think sometimes here in America, we get this, imp- tell me if you agree with this or not, but we sometimes get this idea that, you know, to be a Catholic, to be a good Christian is meaning never to doubt and to never really struggle with faith. And anyone who has any experience knows that's not at all true. That's right. The interior life has so many different seasons to it, but mm-hmm. divine mercy is what's so healing about it is that it brings us, it's always urging us to a place of trust, which again um, is, is part of that faith. And so I think you know, the message of even just the prayer, uh, talking about the power of prayer in the book as well, um, just the words, Jesus, I trust in you, um, there's a great power. It releases the power of prayer, and a lot of times it will release uh, some of the doubts and fears that have entered into. Those, those prayers have a lot of power, and in the book, as you know, there's a whole chapter on releasing the power of prayer so that we can be healed from fear and move into trust. The final question on this book, but a lot of folks are very interested in this. This is always kind of the enticing topic, but you even talk about the divine mercy and spiritual warfare. So a lot of folks would want me to ask this question. What can divine mercy do for those, especially who are having diabolical suffering? Divine mercy, what I have seen um, with my own eyes, um, having been uh, serving in the church's ministry of healing and deliverance and exorcism, Mm -hmm and being part of the uh, Pope Leo XIII Institute, I've had the vantage point and the privilege of being able to see many rites of exorcism. And, you know, Michael, when people ask me to kind of demystify that, or is it strange, um, you know, it's it's something people look at as on the periphery, but mm-hmm. in, in reality, it's it's really something that all of us are involved in. It's the ministry of the Lord's healing and deliverance in it's part of our discipleship. And so what I've seen uh, with people that were fully possessed even is great, great mercy um, upon these souls. What people fail to realize, I think, sometimes is that there is this great suffering that happens because sometimes you have severe cases. And I don't talk about that so much of in course. the book. But, you know, there are cases where a child is cursed in the mother's womb. By because the parents were practicing Satanists or because they were, you know, witches or that kind of a thing. And that's real. And so when the child comes, you know, their life is troubled. And when the child turns to the church, it has been an incredible gift for me to be able to see the power and the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ working through his ministers, the priest, 
And the priest doesn't work alone. He always has a team. So the mercy of God is that in, in anybody who is suffering from diabolical, you know, whether it's ordinary, um, which we would consider temptation or oppression, oppression has the biblical um, equivalent or the example of that is in, is in the book of Job. And then the, what we would call extraordinary um, diabolical uh, issues would be uh, full possession, which is extremely rare and obsession. And um, I will say that at the end of the day, um, what has really released people from the power and the grip of the enemy has been the power of love that is present in that time and place in an exorcism. Mm-hmm. Um, the love of that priest, the love of the team, and we're calling upon the whole church whenever something like this is done, the Blessed Sacrament is present, relics are present, you know, all the arsenal of, this is what I tried to bring out in the book. And, um, and you know, it's not foreign to the message of divine mercy at all, because if you read St. Faustina's diary, and in the book I, I write, she had many, many encounters with um, diabolical spirits. Yes. And the Lord even gave her that retreat, which I, which I love, which he said, I want to teach you about spiritual warfare. And he wanted to arm her with the truth and the, the arsenal, you know, that the church provides for his people against um, the diabolical vexation. So I hope that that, that that helps to I really give basic 101 spiritual warfare. Um, in, in, in that one chapter, it's called Spiritual Warfare to Christ's Victory, Healing to Christ's victory, um, because it really, mm-hmm. the Lord is always victorious, as you know. Absolutely, he is. It's wonderful. Now to switch gears a little bit, Kathleen, I mentioned it at the start of our show, but you also wrote a book for Sophia Institute Press, uh, Praying for Priests, which is attached to your foundation, I know. Why is it important to pray for priests? Well, this whole initiative of praying for priests, it's first of all, in the beautiful words of um, Father John Hardin, it is a divine mandate. Mm-hmm. From, from the beginning, the Church has been involved in praying for priests, but I think it's incredibly relevant. There's a new light that the Holy Spirit is shining upon it now for the development of the uh, vocation, within a vocation, if you will, of spiritual motherhood and spiritual fatherhood of souls, but in particular of priests. And I do need, again, to give credit to the fact that this initiative of uh, praying for priests is not my own, that I simply put myself at the service of the Congregation for Clergy in Rome and um, touched by their initiative in 2007, they put out a booklet Um, Eucharistic Adoration for the Sanctification of Priest and Spiritual Motherhood. And it was like so many treasures that are sometimes the best-kept secrets, if you will. And so um, my spiritual director works in Rome, and I have reason to go to Rome for other things. And um, so, you know, we asked the congregation how we can serve them, and and the book came out of that uh, proposal, and so did the Foundation of Prayer for Priests. So uh, it's been a joy for me, because this was published in 2014. It's been a joy to see um, how, when people read the book, they're being confirmed by the promptings of the Holy Spirit that they've already experienced, that they want to spiritually adopt a priest. And so it's exciting to see, you know, there's there's men and women in nursing homes that are feeling like maybe they didn't have a role in the church anymore, but 
lo and behold, you know, they can offer their rosaries and their chaplets and their prayers for a priest who may be having a very difficult day. I mean, as you know, Michael, what we expect of our priests these days um, is a lot. Mm-hmm. And they really do, you know, try to be Christ for all people and in all situations. And uh, But they're human like us, and sometimes they have bad days. Some days they, they might be so busy at the hospital or other sacramental, um, you know, duties that they have that maybe they didn't get their holy hour in. So we, as sure. the body of Christ, you know, uh, we can exercise our priesthood with a small p and pray for them and keep that. It's like one priest just recently said, you know, it helps all of us to remember that this is the family of God. And so the priests are there, as you know so well, as the head, and we are there as that body. And uh, I love the analogy of Mary being the neck and how that life-giving spiritual life of prayer can really um, benefit both. Something I've just been made aware of recently, but one of a huge segment, I want to say something like, about eight to ten percent of our readership is actually are actually seminarians, people who are studying for the priesthood, and they always comment or say something like, "I'm really glad to know there are people praying for us." So I can see the importance of the work. Absolutely, absolutely, it has really been. You know, um, we're praying for the sanctification of priests, but while we're doing that, we're the Lord is is also sanctifying us as we in the power of intercession. That other-centered prayer is so good for our own vocations of um, that call to holiness. So I would encourage the listeners today to really uh, take up that um, prayer for priests and for seminarians um, because they really need it. They really are on the front lines. And I'm sure that I'm very sensitive to that because of working for the last 15 years um, in the ministry of healing and deliverance mm-hmm. and seeing that spiritual battle, uh, you know, magnified for them. I can imagine. So the foundation of prayer for priests, uh, what outreach or programs do you offer to those who might want to adopt seminarian or a priest? Well, you could, I would invite people to visit the website, which is www.foundationforpriest.org www.foundationforpriest.org, and on the home page, there is a place where you can enter your email and send us a note about priest, a priest or a priest that you want to um, spiritually adopt, and your spiritual case. There's a whole network. The, the, the point is we're building this website to be a free resource to anyone. There's um, sections mm-hmm. for priests, there's sections for seminarians, there's sections on spiritual warfare. That's actually the most uh, popular section. Yes. And so um, also there's sections on what is spiritual motherhood, what is spiritual fatherhood, and how do you uh, develop this uh, vocation within a family with young children praying. And I'm excited, Michael, because we just now launched a a four-minute video that we posted to the website where priests actually are inviting lay people to pray for them, and a a lay woman gets up and, and, and shares about how her children are embracing um, praying for priests, cool. but they love it. You know, it's a family thing that she puts pictures of the priest or they spiritually adopt him and the priests and then the children are just loving um, doing this. So it's exciting to see what the Holy Spirit is doing. Oh, it certainly is. That's wonderful to hear. It's especially good to know that we can still help our priests, 
even if we're not called to that particular vocation. That's, uh, for me, the most empowering part of it. Absolutely, and they and it's been, um, you know, down through the ages, this has been a part. We know in the history of the Church, I mean, you mm-hmm. look at Catherine of Siena was a spiritual mother to the Pope, right? Uh, you know, you have Therese of Lisieux. I mean, there's so many saints that really took up this call of offering prayer and sacrifice. Um, and it can be so simple. Uh, the the woman that's on the video that we just launched, she was telling a story that, you know, when she was, she has five little children, five little boys, and when she is making lunch for her boys, it makes her think of how the priest, you know, she wants to have a nutritious lunch for her children. And she said, and the priests are feeding the body of Christ to the, to God's people too. And she said, and I think of maybe he's tired or, and she, she just offers up her tiredness. You know, being the mother of five little boys is, is tiring. And so she mm-hmm. said, it just, she has a way of connecting just the smallest um, duties, if you will, each day with offering it up for the priest, which is very reminiscent of Teresa Lisieux, who did the same thing. And to wind up our interview here, Kathleen, can you tell our listeners where they can learn more about you and your books? I have a website, KathleenBeckman.com, mm-hmm. and, and then, of course, SophiaPress.com um, um, has the books there. But I invite people to to see um, the books and visit the website at KathleenBeckman.com. Absolutely. And we'll put all those links up on CatholicExchange.com so folks can go there and find them if they maybe miss the spot. And we'll be happy to have that there. Otherwise, Kathleen, thank you so much for joining us here. This was a really fine interview. I really enjoyed hearing about your books, your work. And I know God is doing amazing things in your life. And you've touched so many souls with your work. So thank you so much. And to him be the glory, and I want to thank you, Michael. Keep up your good work. It's just a joy to work with you and all of the magnanimous people at Sophia and at Catholic Exchange. You do great work, and so let's continue to pray for one another. I will absolutely take you up on that. Thank you, Kathleen. <laughs> thank you. You God bless. God bless. And that was Kathleen Beckman with God's Healing Mercy, her newest book from Sophia Institute Press. And you, our Catholic Exchange audience, can get this book at a special discount using CE35. That's the promotion code CE as in Catholic Exchange 35 at SophiaInstitute.com. Learn more about Kathleen Beckman at KathleenBeckman.com as well as the FoundationForPriests.org. You can find those links right up there on CatholicExchange.com. Tune in next week. We're going to have an interview with Don Eden to talk about healing painful memories, which we also talked on this subject. But I look forward to hearing from you. If you have any questions or want to know more, email me, editor at catholicexchange.com. That's editor at catholicexchange.com. Once again, this is Michael Litchens coming to you from snowy New Hampshire. God love you. Have a wonderful week. And please, please pray for all of us here at catholicexchange.com through this Lent as we pray for you. God love you. Enjoy your week.